there, all you snazzy snails. Welcome to another episode of A Little Greener, a podcast all about nature, sustainability, and conservation. Hey, welcome to the world. We're here. We're talking about nature. I'm one of your hosts, Casey, and I'm joined by the awesome Sarah. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Hi, I'm doing wonderful. Snazzy is such a good adjective. That was a great start. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) How are you this week, Sarah? I'm doing well, and I realized recently that I feel like I need to share a couple of nature slash sustainability updates they haven't talked about in a while. Do it. One is composting. I made such a big deal about it and then I haven't talked about it, but I just want everybody who's I'm sure been very concerned about that fact to know that I am still composting. I don't have any compost yet. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it's slow process, but it's, it's happening. It's going. I haven't had any major issues. I'm saving all my food scraps in the freezer and I get palm branches that fall out of my tree that I save for my, my brown materials. You know, it doesn't smell. It's, it's all good. So that's still happening. That's excellent. I'm glad to hear that. We actually got a compost bin, an official one, instead of just throwing it into a pile in the woods and pretending like that was like proper composting. Have you started it yet or are you going to yes. wait until you have relocated. We started it, I think partially because my dad was like, I don't want you to continue to throw food scraps (laughs) into the woods. I mean, like they genuinely were in a pile. Um, but this is definitely more official. This is more of that hot composting that we talked about. If you don't, if you're like, what, then go listen to the composting episode. Cause that was super fun. There's two of them. I think there's two of them. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we started it and put some brush in there and we'll be transporting it to the new house when we move. So yay. Yay. That's fun. And then my second thing is my beach dune sunflower that I purchased at my local plant sale is still alive. Yeah. Thank you very much. And there might even be little buds on it. It's they're like too small right now that I can't tell. Are you like new leaves coming up? But there's been growth. There are no flowers yet, but I might be seeing the beginnings of flowers now. And I'm super proud of myself. And if you know me, you know that this is a big deal because I do not keep plants alive. I am proud of you. Thank you. Those are my nature updates. Good job, Sarah. That's all I have on this week. The geese in our yard have had now goslings, which are very, very cute when they're Mm. little. So that's fun to watch. There is a fox that I saw yesterday morning, which is also very fun, except for also they eat goslings. So that's probably why the fox was around. (laughs) Ah, the circle of life. Yes. And another thing that eats goslings that I saw last week was a ginormous snapping turtle. That's awesome. Yes. Crawled up into the creek. So that's super fun too. We saw gopher tortoise today <gasps> at work. Well, we know, we know like there's oh, a gopher yeah, tortoise yeah, yeah. nest that's marked, but, and, and I've seen him a few times, like sitting out by the entrance to this particular nest, but he was like out on a stroll today. So he was right up by the, yeah. the path as we were going by and man, tortoises are just so freaking cute. I love them. And he was just walking and he was chomping on some grass and tortoises eating are possibly the cutest thing in the world it's funny because tortoises are kind of like not good at eating so right. they're, they're like fairly imprecise they're just like this giant little oh, mouth yeah. but they also look like they're thinking really hard about <laughs> it while they're doing it oh man go go google some videos of tortoises eating if you want some wholesome content to make you smile what about your challenge from last week sarah did you do any of that i'm trying to think what the challenge from last week was what did we talk about 
Oh, yes. It was the creative. It was our creative yes. challenge. Oh, man. So I did think about this and it turned out to be a lot harder than I was anticipating. So I'm curious what your feelings were. And now I have to like, because I did not take your advice of writing it down because I was like laying in bed and yeah. thinking about it. And so I didn't write anything down because I've always felt that sort of if I were going to try to identify my strengths, my strengths are very like soft skill type thing, like empathy and, you know, the, sure. the, the just the desire to be helpful and, and, uh, and all of that. And so uh, I sort of feel like doing what we're doing is one of the ways that I've always felt like well, this is how I can help. I can help by doing my best to share things with people and to understand people's different points of view and to try to facilitate, you know, conversations and information that will relate to different people's point of view. So I've always sort of thought that, but I've always, now I feel like, well, maybe I've, I shouldn't have stopped thinking about it there, (laughs) if that makes sense. So I feel like one of the things that we talked about a lot last week in terms, so we we talked about climate change and finding hope to to fight climate change. We talked about what we care about and what within all of the different things that factor into climate change and can come as a result of it, you know, find what you relate to within that. And I think for you and I, one of the big things was how this is going to impact other people and we care about other people and I, I don't really do anything in terms of helping with mitigating potential future impacts, if that makes sense. And so I think for me, that's an, the next, but it's still pretty bit vague, but relatively specific actionable is to try to look for ways that I can maybe directly contribute to mitigating impacts in some way. So clearly more, more to be explored there, but that's what I've done so far. Yeah. I think that maybe that's interesting is, um, just recap if you didn't listen to last week's episode. Yeah. We're trying to identify our own strengths and how that can fit in to, and our passions that can fit into the climate change photo, uh, picture photo. Oh my gosh, guys. <laughs> Wow. Um, <laughs> my strength is public speaking, <laughs> literally what I was going to say. Anyway. Um, yeah, I think that's interesting. Cause I also was like, you know, actually one, one of my strengths I feel like is talking about these issues and like being a science communicator. And so this mm-hmm. podcast is how I'm helping, but also like we're helping from the education standpoint, but not necessarily from the mitigation standpoint. And so that's an important element to it, but and, and if we are mobilizing people, then that is us helping, but also, yeah, what, how are we actually dealing with those impacts as we get on sort of the back end of climate change to say it's already happening? What, what things can we even be involved in? And so I felt like looking at my current job was a good way to look at that. And so knowing that urban agriculture is a way that we're going to be able to mitigate food issues as extreme weather events may wipe out certain years crops or, or make things more difficult to distribute food. So helping with our local food gardens and trying to be, um, trying to educate, like, I feel like education is one of my strengths. So also Mm -hmm. educating people on how to grow their own food in their own garden and how to, how that's important as far as a community 
is a way to help on those back end mitigation things. So sometimes I think that's also a way to think about. I was listening to NPR this week and someone was talking about how in self care, sometimes in your job, there's like this disconnect because you have so little autonomy within your own profession a lot of times. But if, you know, there's your work self and your home self, maybe mm-hmm. there's things in your work self that you can help with versus your home self. So there's like, I think different ways you can separate it out. So if you haven't done your homework, always a good time or challenge. <laughs> it's always a good time to tackle a challenge. So, um, of any of the week's episodes. So, and I mean, this, that will be a challenge. I think that I will continue to think about and work on. So that was a really good one. And it sounds like we had somewhat of a similar thought journey, uh, as we were going through that. So, yeah. So this week we are going to talk about something called biomimicry, which I'm excited to jump into. And my question for you to, to kick us off tonight, Casey, is what do you think is one of the coolest, and I put animal on here, but really animal plant, whatever adaptation What's one that you just think is really fun, really interesting? So two that came to mind right away okay. are very similar and very different is the elephant's trunk Ooh. and an octopus's tentacles. Okay. And I think octopus's tentacles went out because they can also taste, I think, with their tentacles. And I think they can also regrow their tentacles, which like, I don't know, there's just multifunctional and they've got eight of them. That's pretty cool. So I'm going to go with an octopus's tentacles. Man, octopus. Amazing. Yeah, that's a really good one. I also had two and I thought that these were probably like, if you asked this question to like a seven-year-old, these would probably be the things that they would think about too. So I was like, Sarah, you should come up with something more, uh, more adult, but I didn't. These are the, the two that come to me are one, just the ability to change color. Yeah. Cuttlefish. Can also do that. Yes, they can. <laughs> and I, so that's cuttlefish were the ones yeah. that popped into my brain and they can change not just color, but like the texture. Yes. Too. It just, what, what is that? That's it's, that's amazing. So I think that's super cool. Really any color change ability. We had a chameleon when I was younger, that was amazing. Loved watching it. But, uh, so that, so that was one. And then also similar to, as you mentioned, octopus can regrow their tentacles, the ability to sever a limb like lizards dropping their tails. How does that happen? Oh, something's grabbed onto me. Let me just break this tail off of my body so that I can get away. This tail that was fully joined to my body. I read a paper once. (laughs) It's it's a little bit dark. They basically had to test the, the tension that it took to take off a skink's tail. And yeah, I don't, I don't want to go into how they tested that, but they found that there was a correlation between the skinks and lizards that dropped their tails the fastest lived in areas that had venomous snakes. So they thought that it's not just like a predator adaptation. It specifically might have evolved along venomous snakes living in the same area and helping protect them, you know, get bit on your tail. No more tail. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did it once. One of one of you our did. pets. Uh, I can't remember what type of lizard she was anymore. That's terrible. But I went to go pick her up, and she ran, and I my hand closed around her tail, and she 
kept going and I was standing there holding her tail and I sobbed. I thought that I killed her. I had no idea that they could do this. That's and wild. then I learned. That's how I learned. That's how lizards can trust it. That's how you learned. You didn't even know it, I know, I didn't it, it know. could happen. Oh I my re- gosh. I really so I thought scarred. that I killed her. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah, I would have thought I mean, that that's, too. I was very young, which is why I can't remember the specifics. But yeah. So anyway, but oh, the, it's a super cool thing that they are able able to do. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about wildlife biomimicry. Yeah. And how amazing nature is basically, and how uh, we can learn from that. So stick around for that conversation. All right. Welcome back, everybody. We're so happy to have you here for another week listening to A Little Greener. And we are going to be talking about something called biomimicry tonight. So you may be familiar with mimicry in the natural world, different animals looking similarly for some benefit, usually to to protect themselves in some way. Think of like the monarch and the viceroy of a butterfly maybe being one of the most common examples, but that is not what we are talking about tonight. So biomimicry is a term that's often described as uh, is innovation inspired by nature or the natural world. So it is basically looking to nature to help inspire us for solutions to our, our challenges. Um, you know, biomimicry, this, this topic tonight, we could look at this as sort of a utilitarian argument as a reason to protect nature in order to help kind of inspire these innovations. But I think for me, I just think that this is something that's really cool. Like Casey just said it kind of in our intro, like this is nature. Nature's amazing, man. And we we're here, we are doing this podcast because we love nature and biomimicry is basically recognizing the amazingness of nature and then taking it another step to see how uh, we might be able to utilize that. So this is kind of similar to what we talked about in our episode on renewable energy. This is something that has been around for a while, but this sort of field of biomimicry, I guess, has, has become popular more relatively recently. So biomimetics was first a term first coined in the, the 1950s by Otto Schmidt. Schmidt, my people. Different spelling. It's fine. <laughs> There's lots of ways uh, to spell Schmidt. Right? It just means Smith. It's just, I know. It's, it's the most. It's the second most common name in Germany. <laughs> <laughs> well, Otto, cousin Otto, was cousin Otto, an yes. American inventor and biophysicist. Uh, but biomimicry, as a term, uh, gained popularity uh, around 1997. There was a book by Janine. Benyus, I should have looked up if that was really the pronunciation of her name, uh, but called Biomimicry Innovation Inspired by Nature. So let's take a look at some examples to showcase what we're really talking about with biomimicry. And one of perhaps the best known examples of biomimicry is Velcro. Casey, do you know what the natural inspiration for Velcro was? 
have you heard this story before? Or can you imagine? Well, when I first was reading over this outline, my brain was going really fast as it sometimes does. And I was like, (laughs) yeah, I know what it is. It's geckos. That's not how Mm. geckos work at all, though. (laughs) (laughs) So I was wrong. I read later into this outline and was like, not geckos. (laughs) (laughs) So all I know about Velcro is invented for astronauts, right? I think that's... that's Oh, I have no idea. I don't know if it was invented for, certainly was used for Yes. very quickly. So Velcro was actually inspired by burrs. Oh, Ginger gets into burrs all the time. Right? So that was the idea. So this was a Swiss engineer named George Demestrel or something like that, who he was inspired by. Confidently. He was inspired by birds. your Swiss names. <laughs> uh, sticking to the fur of his dog. So he took a dog out for his, a walk and got birds sticking to his dog, birds sticking to his clothes. So instead of just being annoyed like I would be, he <laughs> took those birds and he examined them under a microscope and figured out kind of how they functioned and how they stuck so well. And he was inspired to create the sort of hook and loop design of Velcro. I believe that this happened in in the 40s when he was taking his dog for a walk. And it actually took a long time. I sort of thought, well, like, I mean, yeah, that's a great idea. And it would probably be super simple. But apparently it took a lot of time and strategy to figure out really how to develop these these materials to make it effective. Um, So it wasn't patented until 1955, but then was being literally used in outer space by astronauts in the 1960s, which is pretty impressive. So I was not aware of, I don't, I don't know that this was developed specifically for that purpose of being used in space, but it sure became really handy real quick for things to be held down uh, without any gravity. So that I think is, is like I said, maybe one of the more common and, and well-known examples of biomimicry and also pretty straight forward uh, I feel like too it's not always quite that straightforward and you mentioned uh, you know first thinking oh maybe this is geckos but that's not really how geckos work there have been examples that I came across too where we have sort of thought that we've been inspired by nature and design things based off of how we think things in nature work and then later find that oh that's not actually how they work at all. Like I, there was an example of a building and I didn't write this one down. So I'm, I'm not going to remember exactly where it is. I want to say it's a mall or something um, that was somewhere in a warm climate and they designed it without any um, like actual cooling system. And they just, the structure of the building to have sort of natural airflow and keep things cool. And it was based off of how they thought termite mounds worked. Oh, and then have since determined, oh, that's not how termite mounds actually so is work. It a really hot, but ball? I guess it, no, I guess it still works. Oh, for, okay, that's for good. The building, uh, but so so there you go. Uh, the inspiration was still there, I guess. So, um, but I'm going to talk about a couple of other examples. One of the first examples that I learned about biomimicry was for a train, uh, in particular the the bullet train in Japan. So this Shinkansen bullet trains in Japan, these are passenger trains that can travel up to 200 miles per hour, which, wow, amazing. I'm jealous. (laughs) I have never been on a train. 
Not a single train ever. Not a single train ever. <gasps> other than like a ride at a theme park. I live in the land of Amtrak. So I have been on many, many trains, not even a subway. No. Wow. Oh, Sarah, like, I don't know why I feel I would, strongly that you should be on a train. I would but... love to be on a train. Let's, let's go to Japan and try let's, out these. Yeah, I want to go on a real fast train. That would be awesome. <laughs> so, but apparently the, the issue with these trains, and this was relatively recently, I guess, in, in the, the late 80s, is they had these trains, but they were very loud. Um, for a number of issues, but one of the issues that they would have was basically they would create a sonic boom when anytime oh. that they would go through a tunnel. So as they exit the tunnel, it would create a, a, sonic, a sonic boom because basically they had just these waves of air pressure that would build up against the front of these trains as they passed through the tunnel. And so this was not pleasant, I'm sure, for passengers and definitely not pleasant for the folks that lived near these train tracks. So they brought in a team of engineers to find a solution for these trains that are obviously extremely uh, efficient and you want to keep them around, but got to have them kind of under under noise ordinance levels, at least. And so one of the ways that they looked to solve this problem was by looking at the bill of a kingfisher, which is a type of bird. And Casey, what do kingfishers do? What's What are they known for? Um, fishing? Yeah. The, <laughs> we, have, we have one that lives at the pond in my dad's backyard, which I've never seen one like I grew up here, so I th thought I knew all the wildlife that we had, but no, we have a kingfisher and what I know him for is he is very loud and, and, um, uh, like clacks his enough. beak around in the morning. Yeah. I don't He makes a very interesting noise, but they'll like zip real close to the water and just like skim insects mm -hmm. or fish off the, the top. Mm -hmm. They'll dive in and mm -hmm. are kind of known for not they're they're pretty efficient about it so they can do it quietly they can do it without a splash and they have these very long almost cylindrical very pointy bills and I should specify there's lots of different kinds of kingfishers and apparently I didn't know this because I always I mean they're called kingfishers I've always thought of them as being fishing birds apparently some species are foragers and don't do this but hmm. uh but for the most part uh, kingfishers are, are known for being able to dive in the water and one of the folks on this team of engineers that they brought in to look at these bullet trains was a bird watcher and so he took inspiration from actually a few different birds to work on several different parts of these trains, but to solve that son sonic boom issue, they looked at remodeling the front of these trains after Kingfisher fills. And they looked at a few different shapes. They tried a few different models of different kinds, but the one that they ended up going with was the one that most closely resembled this Kingfisher bill. And it genuinely was because when I first heard about this, I was like, now, come on, like they just were engineers and they knew that this shape would potentially be effective. But apparently it genuinely was this guy was inspired by the Kingfisher, which I thought was pretty awesome. Uh, and it did work. And it, they ended up with all of the changes that they made, ending up with a train that was more efficient. So they were we're using 15% less electricity and going 10% faster than they were before, in addition to solving their noise issues. 
Oh man. So pretty Look, useful example. Having hobbies makes you a better person. That's right. I'm hearing here. Like yes. it makes you more well-rounded. You're going to be more creative. Exactly. So yeah, he used the, the kingfisher, I guess, owl feathers for another part of the train. Like what, not a thing that you can see, but some of the inner workings of the train that was over my head that I didn't understand. Uh, and the, 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 like the belly of a penguin uh, shape were other birds that were his inspiration. I always think it's interesting because like a lot of marine mammals or penguins, they're described as having torpedo shaped bodies, Mm -hmm. which is kind of funny because what came before the torpedo, all of these animals. So actually torpedoes have a penguin shaped body. (laughs) That's right. Good point. All right. So the, oh, the other thing that I thought was interesting about the train and the Kingfisher bill is this has since been tested even a little bit more. So I found a study where they looked at the bills of different species of kingfisher and did find that in the species that were fishers rather than foragers, they have different, there were differences in their bills. And in fact, the ones that were uh, fishers and diving into the water did have a more efficient bill shape for that. So there you go. Nature. Amazing. Just ran through like a reel of different birds diving into the water like of their different bills. And I was like, man, a toucan would make a big splash. <laughs> Good thing that's not what they need to do. No. The sonic right. boom of a toucan train. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have a mental image of that now. That You're I welcome. need with like the Fruit Loops bird on the Okay, moving on. Uh, I Because we have talked about energy, we're going to be talking about energy a lot in the future. I decided to pull a couple of examples related to different types of energy. And first up, we've got wind turbines. There were actually a few options that I found, and I'll share the, the website that I was utilizing most heavily for this because it's going to play into our challenge for the week. But there, so there are a few examples that I, I came across, but I'm going to go with one that also features an animal that we've talked about on the podcast before, which is the owl. And we talked about the thing that owls, one of the things that owls are really good at is that silent flight. And Casey, can you explain super quick what's the feature of owls that helps them to have that silent flight? They have serrated edges to their feathers. Yeah, and like that trailing edge of the feathers. And so researchers put that to use with wind turbine blades. So these wind turbines make noise as they turn. And in some areas, again, thinking about noise ordinances and all all of that, they actually have to run turbines not at full power in order to keep them quiet enough. They are pretty loud. So not when you're like... When if you can see the whole turbine, it's it's not that loud. If you're like directly underneath the turbine, yeah. yeah, that's my experience from when I was in Ireland. As we would like sit in the grass underneath the turbine, and it would make the like whoop whoop noise. So yeah. So this next example is kind of a retrofit for these wind turbines. It's called the Dino Tail, and if you look at a picture, you'll kind of see it. Well, it reminds me of like the spines on like a stegosaurus 
drawing, you know, is kind of what these things look like. But so this basic basically fits onto the trailing edge of a wind turbine blades. And then they've added, they have a second generation now that kind of has even finer serrations between these bigger points. And this kind of has the same effect as those serrated edges on the owl's wing. So it reduces noise by about 10% at all power levels. So this allows those wind turbines to generate more power while staying under those required noise levels. So thanks owls. That's cool. I've never seen those before. That's so interesting. Yeah. And I couldn't find any. So this is a thing that is already in production. I couldn't find how frequently they've been used or anything like that. But this is a real this. uh, So everything that we've talked about so far is a real thing that is actually being used and produced. The next one has to do with solar energy. And there are also lots of potential options to talk about with this one. But the one that we're going to talk about is uh, related to butterfly wings. And this was a thing that I, I didn't even know or hadn't really thought about before. But of course, it makes sense for solar panels to be ex- effective. They have to absorb light, but surfaces can reflect light as well. So any light that's reflected off of the surface of the solar panel is obviously not doing us any good for power generation. And apparently uh, some butterfly wings have tiny little nanostructures that aid in the absorption of light over a wide spectrum. So apparently like black areas on certain butterfly species wings can absorb up to 99.96% of the light that hits them. So yeah, that's a a pretty good success rate. So by mimicking those structures in solar panels, researchers were able to reduce light reflection in solar panels from about 35% reflection down to about 5%. That's wild. Making That's them more effective. So, I mean, like butterfly wings are interesting because so many of them are sort of matte colored when mm-hmm. you think like a lot of, cause they're covered in scales. You think of scales as being shiny, like mm-hmm. in, in a lot of reptile species. So it's really interesting and that a, they were able to use that that way. Yeah. And, and a, apparently there are different like levels of darkness to yeah. butterfly wings. And so they, they, kind of classified them differently and that impacts how much light they are able to absorb as well. So it's interesting. And again, this is just one of several strategies that I read about with solar panels to make this type of energy more efficient going forward. So that was cool to read about in and of itself to look at how these technologies are being developed. Yeah. And that's important. If you're not very familiar with butterfly anatomy, they are cold blooded. Mm. Um, so they use this to heat up their bodies so that they're able to function during the daytime. Yeah. So the, the last kind of example that I want to touch on kind of relates back to what we were talking about with our, our challenge from last week and thinking about mitigating effects for the benefit of people as well. So I, we can use biomimicry or look to nature to help inspire solutions for humanitarian issues as well for things like protecting our water supply, making sure that we have access to uh, good drinking water and that sort of thing. So this one, 
I, I really like the, the inspiration for this one. I want to learn a little bit more about this one, but the natural inspiration for this last one, it comes from the darkling beetle, which again, apparently is something where there's multiple species within this group of beetle, but they looked specifically to this beetle living in, I think, I think Namibia is, is where they went. And so dry conditions. And so this beetle will drink water from the air. So think like dew or fog. It will collect this water on its body and then has like a series of grooves or ridges that will direct this water up to its mouth so it can drink. And so this certain species of darkling beetle will go up to the top of a dune and like position its body in the right way as the wind is coming over and will catch the fog droplets on its body so that it can drink. What? I think I've seen a documentary that actually has that. I'm going to have to look it up. And yeah, if I, I can see it, I will, uh, I'll talk about it next week. But I'm, I have a memory of like, watching this little beetle stand at the top of a sand dune. Yeah. I just think it's, it's awesome. It's so cool that something like that exists. Like we know there's fog, there's water in the air and this beetle has, is able to access it in a, in a way that we can't. And this is one, one of those examples where we are still kind of learning how this works. And so I actually almost didn't use this example because of this, like it didn't quite seem like this innovation that I was reading about. It's not really that it necessarily actually works the same way that this beetle does, okay. but they still looked because we don't know really enough about how this beetle does it, but, uh, but they still, they still were inspired by it. The idea of this beetle being able to do this made them think about a potential solution to the problem. And so the problem that this particular company was looking to solve was the problem of water lost from cooling towers in power plants, for example. So we've talked about this uh, on the podcast before, but water is used a lot of times for cooling at power plants. So they're pulling large amounts of water and using it to cool at power plants. And then a lot of this water is lost as water vapor as well. So this company, Infinite Cooling is what it was. They developed this water capture process where they aim to trap that water vapor as it's leaving the towers and then have it basically funnel back down into a tank so it can be used over and over again at these plants to reduce the amount of water that they're pulling. Not enough, obviously, to replace all of it, but to lessen the water that they are pulling, basically. Are we talking about the nuclear plants or are we talking about a different type of power plant? Do you know? I don't know specifically. I think it it's something that could be implemented in a number, any anywhere that there's water vapor lost sure. from a cooling tower. I mean, living near a nuclear power plant, I thought that those towers, we have two, two towers and I th- thought that they were cloud makers when I was a kid. I thought that that's how clouds were made because that's how much like steam is poured out wow. into the sky. So that's why I'm curious about. Gotcha. Yeah. I don't know. That. Yeah. Uh, and again, you know, is this really working the same way as the darkling beetle? I don't know, but I think it's a cool thing to think about how, you know, we can lessen this water loss impact. And 
things like this are also being done to increase access to drinking water for people around the world too. So I was looking at another one that had sort of created these tower structures that would kind of do the same thing, just collecting water from fog and things like that and funneling it down uh, for people to drink in kind of larger reservoirs. We already use things like mist nets that, that might not be the actual term for what they're called but but basically just nets that you put up where the idea is the same thing that they kind of catch the moisture in the air but those don't work in the same way so kind of looking for new solutions to the the issue or looking for new techniques that we can use to make water capture like this more effective so those are just a, a few examples but there's so much more to explore from this. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about for your challenge for the week as well, to give you a chance to kind of explore even more and look a little bit deeper into biomimicry. So Casey, any last thoughts before we jump into our wrap up? I think this is a anthropocentric way to justify the continuation of checking out what the heck animals are doing all the time. <laughs> like, you know, it's not just about, oh, animals are cool. It's like animals are cool and we can use some of the same techniques they do to survive in extreme habitats like I want to know about this scientist who watched this darkling beetle and figured this out was he there with a microscope <laughs> was the, the documentary crew who figured it out? I don't know I I'm just fascinated yeah but I think that's why I like it so much is is again it's not uh, I feel like I'm almost almost looking at it from the reverse I don't know. I don't know how to say it. It's not the fact that we can use it that makes it cool. I really do think like the thing that that I think is is awesome is like you said this it, it helps us to realize even more how amazing nature is and you know the fact that we can use it is sort of just a bonus. I really do think that it it just increases the appreciation of nature where we can look at something and be like, "Man, how do they do that? That's so cool. We've been trying so hard to get better access to water. And here's this bug that just does it. Like it just get, you know, so I think in, I think in some way that's, that's what I, I like about it is it just, it increases the awe of nature a little bit through this process of figuring out how to try to do what nature does. So I think it's pretty cool. We're going to give you a chance to explore it a little more. So stick around for our challenge of the week. Right, everyone. So I said that I would give you the resource that I use, and I'll have a few different articles and links for you in the show description for this week. But one of the main websites that I used for uh, finding my examples for tonight is very simple. It is asknature.org. And if you go to that website, you will see a search box up in the top corner. So your challenge for this week is really simple. It's just to explore 
whatever you want. Maybe it's your favorite animal. Go and put your favorite animal in that search box and see what pops up for you. Maybe there is an adaptation that you think is really cool that you've seen in nature that you want to put in and see what pops up. Maybe there is a topic or a problem that is of interest to you. Like is solving drinkable water issues something that's important to you? Just put water into that search bar and see what happens see what it will pop up for you. It's a pretty fun website to explore. It'll give you not only current innovations that are out there, and it'll tell you too whether this is something that is in production, if this is something that's being looked at in the academia world, but you can also just look at, it'll show you biological strategies. So for example, when I I was talking about the cuttlefish at the beginning of the episode uh, when I, I I can't remember even what exactly I put in the search box if I just searched color change maybe but one of the things that popped up was the biological strategy adaptive camouflage helps blend into the environment uh, and it was talking about cuttlefish and their ability to change and it, when I scrolled through all the way down to the bottom it has a paragraph where it talks about the potential so it'll tell you all about it talks all about cuttlefish and what they do and how their color change works and all of that. And then you get down to the potential and it gives examples of areas where this might be useful in other purposes. So it talked about things like smart crosswalks, uh, helping to make crossing pedestrians more obvious to drivers, which amazing. But it also talked about how cuttlefish help us to realize that some materials might change color when they're bent or when force is applied. And so this might be helpful in things like knowing when bridges or other infrastructure needs to be repaired if it has some sort of color changing component. So all of these things that I never would have never would have even crossed my mind, uh, they're kind of calling out in this website not saying that those things exist, but here's some potential future applications that we can think about from this really cool natural example. So it's a pretty fun website to explore. And that is your challenge for the week. Well, I am not familiar with this website, so I'm looking forward to checking out what it has to offer. Yeah, it's a fun one. Thanks for sharing some of these really cool things. Nature's amazing. It's always amazing. If you're ever just use this as maybe a prompt to go check out things that inspire you in nature. Mm -hmm. Like it's science, it's art, it's, I think, (laughs) well-being for me, like seeing all of the cool things that nature does. It's not all on us. There are solutions in our world. So I appreciate you taking the time to do a little research on some cool things. I didn't know about the water capture at all. So I think that's really interesting. Yeah. There's some cool stuff out there. Lots of amazing things in nature and lots of really smart people (laughs) working on some really cool innovations as well. So check it out. If you want to share anything with us, anything that you find, anything from past challenges, uh, or you have any ideas, suggestions, comments, feedback, anything that you want to share, you can find us all over social media. We're on Facebook, A Little Greener Podcast. We're on Instagram at A Little Greener Pod. We are at on Twitter at A Greener Podcast, and you can send us an email at a littlegreenerpodcast at gmail.com. And we love to hear from you.
Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks, Sarah, for the good conversation. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye.